Job ready? Employer says yes. This programme is presented by Eduvate, education and innovation. I'm Jonathan Brill. And in today's programme, we focus on applications to university. We look at university league tables in the UK, at teaching quality and the student experience, the best and the worst. We discuss why students need to scrutinise courses as customers. We demonstrate how to make your personal statement stand out. And finally, we feature the groundbreaking modernised education curriculum in Finland. So today we're looking at league tables of universities, specifically those published by the Times. Let's make no bones about it. League tables are controversial. Nonetheless, they're important for prospective students and also for employers who are looking at CVs, seeing where students have come from. So we're looking at two things basically. The student experience, how students voted to say, yeah, this is a great place, and teaching quality, where students again voted to say, yeah, our teachers teach us well. So what are the top 10 for student experience? Number one, where your old friend Prince William went to university, St Andrews. Then Loughborough. Harper Adams, which is an agricultural college, the University of Buckingham, which is a private university, Liverpool Hope, not to be confused with some of the other Liverpool universities, Coventry University, Lancaster, Aberystwyth University from Wales, Leeds Trinity and Bangor, also from Wales. So, do you know these universities? Have you heard of them? Let's have a look at the top 10 for teaching quality. Buckingham, St Andrews, Liverpool Hope, Harper Adams, Aberystwyth, Leeds Trinity, West London, Nottingham Trent, Loughborough, Staffordshire, Norwich Arts College. Do you recognise them? Well, some of them you will from the first list because St Andrews, Loughborough, Buckingham, Liverpool Hope and Aberystwyth appear in both. But apart from St Andrews, are these names that resonate with you? Here's an interesting thing. All of the universities, with the exception of St Andrews, have been invented since the 1960s, some of them, like Liverpool Hope, as late as the 21st century. So none of the traditional universities are in these top tens apart from St Andrews. And what makes a special teaching university? Well, it's what Edgevate has been banging on about for ages. Take Aberystwyth. It's got a virtual learning environment where all the lectures are recorded online. That's terrific. And they have a way in which tutors can remotely follow students' progress to monitor them. Ah, absolutely brilliant. And so, who is at the bottom of these league tables? 
who is at the bottom of the Student Experience League table. Third from the bottom, Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh. Second from the bottom, Cumbria. That's in the north of England. And bottom of the league table for student experience, shock horror, it's the London School of Economics. And so what about teaching quality? Third from the bottom, Queen Margaret College, Edinburgh. Second from the bottom is a teaching hospital for medicine, St George's in London. And bottom, shock horror, no, I've done that already, it's the London School of Economics. So the question is, who takes notice of these league tables? Is it employers? Do they traditionally still look at names they recognise, traditional universities they might have gone for? Or is it parents and students who say, yep, that's the university I want to go to because that promises great student experience, great teaching quality. You pays your money, you makes your choice. And in the guidance for students applying to college and university, there is growing advice to demand more for your fees. Fees are a controversial topic. University fees in England are now levelled out at £9,250 per student per year. Now, that's a lot less than many US colleges, which can go up to as much as forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. But it's not as low as Scotland, which has no fees whatsoever. So where you are paying fees, the advice from Rosemary Bennett, the education editor of The Times, is that students must scrutinise courses for value using all the available data. Undergraduates, she argues, were once the poor relations at university, temporary residents of these august institutions who were made to feel lucky to be there at all. Academics, judged on the quality and quantity of their research, had little incentives to spend time with their students. The same lectures were trotted out year after year, difficult concepts left unexplained, and it was often impossible to get hold of any member of staff just for a wee chat. It was sink or swim, but the tuition fees, really, they've changed all that. Students now want to know precisely what they're getting for the money, which is putting pressure, rightly, on universities to raise their game. The class size of lectures, the class size of seminars, how many contact hours there are, Possibly most importantly, the speed and quality of feedback are what prospective students are looking at. And not far behind, of course, is employability, career services and prospective earnings. Educate has noticed too a peculiar phenomenon that parents are now coming on to the campus to demand clarity about the very topics we've been talking about, particularly contact hours. It's a balancing act. Employers are still impressed by the big names in higher education, but the quality of teaching could have a more profound impact on the education of young people. That teaching is under scrutiny 
as never before. Graduate employability is a key element of the reasoning behind going to an institution of higher learning. So what are the top 10 subjects which produce employment? In a way, there's no surprises. It's the traditional subjects that produce the most employable graduates. Number one, medicine. Number two, dentistry. Number three, nursing. Number four, physiotherapy, veterinary medicine, radiography, pharmacology and pharmacy, building, land and property management, and civil engineering. Now, these are subjects where you can go to university and almost certainly get a job coming straight out of it, very often in a sandwich kind of context where you have a placement during the course itself. The worst courses in terms of directly finding you a job afterwards, let's look at the bottom five. Animal science, agriculture and forestry, creative writing, hospitality, leisure, recreation and tourism, and the sociology. Now, this is quite sobering because the last couple, hospitality and sociology, are not normally recognised as being poor in employability. So students do take care. And so finally in this section, I want to look at salaries, course by course. Where are you going to earn most and where are you going to earn least? Let's have a look at the top 10. And first, and again, I'm not surprised, but you might be, is dentistry. The salary for dentistry coming straight out from your first course is £31,000 a year. That's over $40,000. It goes down medicine, veterinary medicine, chemical engineering, economics, general engineering, aeronautical engineering, electrical engineering, mechanical engineering, and perhaps, surprisingly, social work coming before civil engineering. The last mentioned course, the civil engineering course, is still allowing you to come out at £25,000 a year. And so what are the lowest salaries coming out from your university course? You've studied for three years and you're expecting to get a job. What's the lowest salary jobs. Creative writing, you're expected only to get 18,000 a year if you get that job. Music, linguistics, drama, dance and cinema and communication and media studies are all low paid subjects when you emerge from university. Maybe great fun to study, but some people will still have to look to the end result to justify whether or not that's how they should spend three years at university. The director of the sixth form at St Marylebone CE School in London, Felicity Reid, has suggested many different ways to make your personal statement stand out. We're going to run through these, but please accept a note of caution. Felicity Reid 
is expressing her viewpoint as the head of a sixth form college. I have talked to many admissions tutors in universities who are very, very uncertain as to the role of the personal statement within the application, preferring to refer to the predicted A-level grades rather than the personal statement as a clincher. So, controversial again, but with that caveat, let's proceed with Felicity's advice. She suggests avoid overused phrases. Admissions tutors will read about 200 personal statements a day, with perhaps 150 or so declaring applicants passion for or fascination with their subject. I think you've got to be very careful there with the word read, because you don't read in a deep sense 200 personal statements. I suggest you skim them. So admissions tutors are skimming 200 personal statements a day. It's clear you just have about 4,000 or so characters. So rather than using them up with bland statements or typical assertions about your general interest, try explaining something more personal, more specific. Detail some of your approaches to your chosen field. Applicants tend to use endless synonyms. They, they go into the, the thesaurus and find out Another word for saying passion, devotion, commitment, fascination, obsession, enthrallment, magnetism. Avoid doing this. Rather, go for a personal statement about what you really feel. Felicity goes on, show, don't tell. Describe the impact of the works you have read and projects you have undertaken, rather than simply listing them. And that's more important for personal tutors, admissions tutors, to have a look at, again, how you feel about things, how your thinking has developed, how your wider reading has grown. Don't just say you've, you've done work at a GP's surgery and found it fascinating or interesting. Try and relate what you have learned from seeing the pressure patients are under from the pressure doctors are under and make that into something which comes off the page for the admissions tutors and and do stick to the point many many of these personal statements ramble off eduvate has a whole bunch of very interesting lectures on its pages tell them why Andrew Wilson at the University of Derby inspired you with his lecture on understanding what the nation means to far-right white nationalists, rather than just listing your passion for the subject. Give specific examples and do be honest. It's important particularly, to be honest, for those courses where there's actually going to be an interview and your personal statement might be in front of the interviewer when, when you sit in front of them. So don't claim to have read anything you haven't because they can find that out. And if you are exaggerating and you are talking about the mayor of Casterbridge or the return of the native and you say you've read it and you haven't, you could really not get into that course. But 
you know, there's a way in which you can be too honest. If it, if if one of your family members helped you get into a law firm, don't say that. Just say, I secured work experience at XYZ law firm. You you feel almost as if you're underselling your accomplishment if it was your brother or your father or whatever that got you that job. And there's another thing. Don't try to be funny. It's it's you do look at these uh, applications, these personal statements, and uh, every year a student thinks, "I know what I'll do. I'll make the guy laugh. That will make me get into the course." It doesn't work. Don't do it. But do enjoy writing this personal statement if it has any function at all for many courses. It affording you the opportunity to make your first formal statement and you will make many of these in terms of your life as you apply for jobs on into the future. Eduvate has been banging on for years about how the education systems in the world lack a strategy for dealing with the rapidly evolving change. But at last we've encountered someone who, well, they're almost ahead of us. Dr. Mariu Kailunen, Finland's education manager, has created a curriculum for the country that's relevant to the way we live now. Remember complaining at school that topics like algebra and Latin weren't relevant? Well, Finland's new national curriculum has broken ground on a new kind of education where the real world takes centre stage. Dr. Mariu Kalinen argues we're shifting to a more holistic cross-disciplinary approach which leads development services in education. We're looking at Helsinki and Dr. Kailunen has played a major role in the 2016 shift to what she calls PBL, that's Phenomenon Based Learning. Her new PBL lessons focus on real life topics such as the European Union, climate change, smartphones, and you can discuss them in the context of different subjects. The smartphone in literature, looking at the history of the telephone. Teachers and pupils collaborate to choose learning objectives. And at the end of a particular module, they reflect together on their success. Now, what's driving this change? This change was driven by a vision of the future where artificial intelligence may well have taken over many white-collar jobs. Dr. Kalunin argues the current education system was built for the industrial era of the 1800s, even down to the way it looks, the way the desks are in rows, reflecting assembly lines, factory work. She was a primary school teacher, now has a doctorate in future learning. When you look how rapidly the world is changing, she argues, you realise today's students are going to face a very different working world that will look so different from the one we know even now. 
And here's a special treat for our listeners. I'm going to give you an access code which will let you look at all of the wonderful online catalogue available on Eduvate. So just go to eduvate.biz forward slash access code and enter the code job ready. You'll find us online at eduvate.biz job ready. Employer says yes.